Well, I certainly appreciate the opportunity to bring the lesson tonight. We had a good one this morning. Brian brought a very, very good lesson from James. One that's easy to understand and one easy to teach. Let me ask you a question. If you're a member of the Lord's body, if you're a Christian, are you glad that you're a Christian? In spite of what all is going on in your life, can you actually say that you are glad that you're a Christian? Well, I hope that you can say affirmatively that you are glad that you're a member of the body of Christ. No matter what happens in life, this life is temporary and we must face eternity at some point. Tonight, we're going to be looking at the beauty of the gospel. In Romans, the 10th chapter, in verse 15, we're told how beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Well, tonight we're going to be looking at the beauty of the gospel. I don't know if you think of it that way, but the gospel is very beautiful. And we understand what beauty means. We understand what beautiful things are. We like to see beautiful things. This time of year, we're able to look around and see the plants, trees, and all the things that we have in nature bloom and bring forth something that is new, and we love to see that. We love to see things that are new and beautiful. Well, the beauty of the gospel has many applications. We'll be looking tonight at the beauty of the gospel, changes man's relationship with God. The beauty of the gospel changes man's heart, and the beauty of the gospel changes man's eternal destination. If you will, open your Bibles to Genesis, the third chapter. Sometimes I wonder how the Garden of Eden really looked. Untouched by man, untouched by things that destroy, a perfect paradise for man. God created man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it. And then, of course, we know that God brought woman from the rib of Adam. And both of them had a perfect relationship with God. Now, we know that because of sin, and we read about sin coming into the garden, and Adam and Eve giving over to that sin and breaking God's law, we read of the fact that they were put out of the garden because of that. And in verse 15 of chapter 3, we see the fact that God says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. A prophecy concerning Christ. But we see things changed at that point. If we look at verse 22, we also see how that that relationship changed. And the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. At that point, man's relationship changed with God. Man's relationship changed, period, because he became aware of things he was not aware of before then. I was thinking, I wonder how that would feel to be an adult and have no comprehension of what evil is or sin. Now we do because we've come up in a sinful world, but Adam and Eve were adults in a sinless world. 
Yet sin did change that relationship. But the gospel is able to change the relationship that man has with God. From that point, there was a separation. That point, there needed to be a way man could get reconciled to God. There has always been that problem with sin separating man from God. And as Isaiah said to the children of Israel, as recorded for us in Isaiah 59 and verse 2, when he talks about their sins had separated between them and God. That was a problem. To the point that God hid His face from them and would not hear. It's no different for us today when we sin against God. We do not follow God. It puts a barrier between our relationship. We cannot have that relationship that God desires for us to have. So therefore, the gospel is able to bring us back into that right condition, that right relationship with God. Now we know that the gospel was not revealed until about 2,000 years ago, but yet the prophecy was always there. The fact that it did not matter what law man was under at that time, he still had to be obedient unto that law and be faithful to God. And then eventually the blood of Christ would take care of the sins of the faithful. At no time has man ever been without law from God. And basically, at no time has man been without sin in his existence. Now, we do not know how long it was before Adam and Eve sinned from the time they were uh, created, but that's irrelevant. We just know that it happened, and from that point on, man's relationship with God changed. Therefore, that relationship has to be as God would have it. It is not based on man's interpretation. It's not based on man's opinions. It's based on God's Word. That's what a lot of people, people in this world do not understand. They think a right relationship with God is based on their opinion and their belief. We understand how we believe things. We understand that. But yet we have to make sure that what we believe, whether it's in religion or anything else, is correct. On the job, for example, you have to believe in harmony or in, in compliance with your job and the rules of that company and uh, relationship with other people, other workers, and so on and so forth. Because if you're going against the grain, if you're going upstream, you got a problem. Unless that stream is the right one. <laughs> we know how in life that you can be the sole person with reason and understanding and be in the right situation, and others can be wrong. But when it comes to God's Word, we have to make sure that we are doing it correctly. And obeying the Gospel is one of those things. But the beauty of the Gospel is that it allows us, it makes it possible for us to have that right relationship with God once again. And I am very thankful that we have that. Sin is a separation from God. And there are many who will leave this world still separated from God because they have not taken advantage of the gospel the reconciliation that has been provided for us in 2 Corinthians 5 in verses 18 and 19 Paul talks about reconciliation he talks about the um, ministry of reconciliation the fact that we're reconciled through Christ that is the only way that we have reconciliation is through Christ it is unfortunate that there are religions in the world that do not see Christ as that door the only door Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now that's either a true statement or it's not. There is no medium in between. There is no gray area. 
It's either true or it's not. Now, we know that it is true because we know the Bible is words, uh, God's Word. So we know that a person is not going to be able to go to heaven without going through Christ. So therefore, the sin that changed the relationship with man and God, that gospel has been presented so it can change that relationship back to the right relationship. That is a wonderful and beautiful thing. Christ being the only way for us to have that way back. When we look at the fact that the gospel changes man's heart, we can look at it as a two-edged sword. You can have two individuals to hear the same message, the same gospel message one may believe and one may reject. The same message was preached, but it is how one uh, accepts the message. But for those who understand it, accept it, it changes the heart. Look how many people have come out of the world of sin that maybe have been uh, involved in drugs and alcohol or they may have been involved in illegal crime and things like that. And once they learn the gospel, they change. It changes their heart. Not that God, as some people believe, goes in and changes that heart. God has changed man's heart through the gospel. Why didn't Jesus take on the air of a political figure? Why didn't he mount the political platform and preach for justice and, and righteousness from that point? Because that's not what he was about. It's the gospel that he preached that changes the heart of man. It is the gospel that changes us. And we have to render obedience unto that gospel. When we become Christians, we become new creatures. Why? Because we were outside of the body of Christ. We were aliens to that righteousness that is in Christ. I like to think of it sometimes in trying to teach someone the gospel, taking a circle and putting Christ in the middle. And as Brother J.C. said this morning in his lesson, our Bible class lesson, talking about the spiritual blessings that are in Christ. Now imagine that. We put Christ in the circle. If you're outside the circle, you cannot enjoy those spiritual blessings. It is impossible. The world doesn't understand that. They think that they can offer up a prayer and God will forgive them. If they're not in the body of Christ, they can't be forgiven because forgiveness is a spiritual blessing. It is only reserved for those who become children of God. Also, we can look at that circle. There has to be a way into it. There has to be a way into Christ. Well, the Bible tells us there's a way into Christ. We're baptized into Christ. But yet, there are prerequisites that have to take place before we get there. But it changes the heart. As Paul said, you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. People did it voluntarily. You know, people have believed many things and joined many things because of being forced to. And if I understand correctly and remember what I read correctly about Muhammad in his crusades, and I also think it was that... Uh, also the case with the Christian Crusades that if you didn't join the army that was knocking on your front door, you either died or you made a decision to join them. That's not the way the gospel is. Gospel uh, is a gospel of peace. It is a gospel of love. And therefore, it affects the heart. God wants people to obey from the heart. He doesn't want to force people to obey Him. He wants people to obey from the heart. 
one of the main things that, we, that God tells us that we must have is faith in order to, to be a child of His. Because as the Hebrews writer said, without faith it is impossible to please God. That's not hard to understand. The religious world understands about faith to a degree. They understand that a person has to have faith in order to please God, but their understanding of faith in the correct context is often misunderstood. But the Hebrews writer says that we must have faith, and he says it's impossible to please God if we don't have that, Hebrews 11.6. So faith, and as, as Paul says also in Romans 10.17, faith cometh by hearing. So what does that really mean? It means that we come in contact or we become aware of the truth. And when we become aware of the truth, we begin to reason, to understand, to think about what has been presented to us. And when we are presented with the gospel and with God's truth, at that point we have to make a decision whether we're going to accept that or not. And when we do accept it, then our heart has begun to change as God wants it to. Paul was exactly correct. Of course, he was writing by the guidance of the Holy Spirit when he said that without faith, it is, uh, that faith cometh by hearing. So therefore, when we hear God's word, we stop to look and see what it says. That's nothing unusual. How many times have you had to stop and look at something, an insurance policy or, or something along those lines, where you had to stop and look at what was written in order to know what to do from that point on? It's not hard to understand that. As I was uh, telling Keith before services a few minutes ago, I said, when, when it comes to the Bible and people understanding the Bible, one of the things they do is throw common sense out the window. I think common sense is one of the first things you need in understanding the Bible. Yes, there are other things that we use, rules of interpretation, hermeneutics, that will help us to understand what's what, how to keep things in context. But I think you have to have some common sense to understand what God's talking about. And that's not hard. God has not given us a word that we cannot understand. How many times have you heard one, someone say, well, we can't all understand the Bible alike? Why not? Did God give us a word that is so confusing that nobody can understand it like his neighbor? Uh, what Paul say? 1 Corinthians 14.33 God is not the author of confusion. How dumb would it be for God to give us a word that we really couldn't understand? That'd be a waste of his time. Be a waste of our time. So I'm supposed to sit and study something I can't understand correctly. Well, the gospel changes the heart to have a person stop and realize what God expects of them. And hearing and that faith begins, that person should take it and start in a progressive direction. So the gospel changes the heart. Part of that is also repentance because a person, when they understand that they have sinned against God and they understand that their life has not been right, then they have to make a change. And that comes from the heart. To decide to do that which is right, which God has commanded us. And it depends on our understanding the word. Because some people think repentance is just saying, I'm sorry. Well, that's the first step, I think, because you have to realize that. If you've never felt guilty about anything, if you were wrong, would you ever repent? Would you ever apologize? Absolutely not. What did Jesus and John say when they came and they were preaching the kingdom was at hand? Talking about repentance, bring fruits 
meet for repentance. In other words, it's just not a matter of believing and saying, okay, I'm sorry, uh, but it's doing things from that point on. If I recall correctly, I didn't really write this down, but in Brian's sermon this morning, he talked about uh, desire plus opportunity plus action. Dealing with sin. You know, and James talks about how we're pulled away by our desires. And the desire to do something sinful, the opportunity that is there for us to be involved in that, and then the action to actually do the sin. Well, you know, we can turn that around and apply it to the gospel. The desire to do what's right, the opportunity to do what's right, and then the follow-through of doing what's right. That is repentance. That is change from the heart. And once again, as I, I mentioned a little earlier, Paul said that we obey from the heart that form of doctrine. Therefore, that form of doctrine means the teaching that was already delivered. Uh, having a discussion online with a, a man that says a lot of things that the Bible is most definitely unfamiliar with, but uh, it's the, the thinking that the religious world has that there's no pattern in the New Testament. He goes as far as to say that there's no, uh, nowhere in the New Testament does it talk about corporate worship or corporate uh, assembly like what we have here. And of course, I, you know, after about seven or eight different verses, I just quit naming them. So, you know, because I, I figured after one or two, if he can't get it after one or two, he's not going to get it. But the mindset is that man has free will to do what he wants to in accepting God, living his life toward God. You know, as Paul said in Romans 12, 1 and 2, talking about presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And his idea is that you can do that any way you want. Well, now if he's talking about methods sometimes, yeah, we have the opportunity to uh, serve God in different areas, but it always has to be according to God's word. And the person who has had their heart changed and who understands correctly, they don't want to go outside of the laws of God, not to go beyond that which is written. Their desire is to do exactly what God wants them to do. So we see the fact that when that heart is changed, then that person is going to start doing things the way God wants him to. We are new creatures. Why does the Holy Spirit tell us that we're new creatures? Because old things are passed away. The way we were should not exist any longer. And does that mean that as soon as we obey the gospel that everything that you know we have problems with in our lives is just stopped at that point? There's no temptation after that? No. There is a learning curve. There is a growth curve to start with, but it should never stop. The fact of learning God's word is what keeps us close to God. So therefore, learning God's word and wanting to do it according to God comes from a changed heart, comes from a new creature. We're no longer as we were. Uh, and, and you'll notice if you talk with people a lot of times that uh, when they became Christians, they, they'll say, well, you know, my friends started treating me differently. And people say, well, I can't believe that you're not going to go do this with us anymore. And, you know, and, and although that person may have obeyed the gospel, they're still friends and family that may try to get that person to go and do the things they used to do. You know, Friday afternoon after work, everybody's going to meet down at the uh, pub and, you know, have a few drinks and, you know, just sit around enjoying each other and talking about different things. And the person says, well, I can't do that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. People don't understand that. They'll still try to get them to follow after them. But that person has had a changed heart. And each of us has had that opportunity to change that heart. And it's not a one-time change and that's it. 
It is a change that continues to change it toward God. And by that, I mean progressive. We should never be satisfied where we are in serving God. We should always be looking for opportunities to become more faithful, stronger, uh, more knowledgeable about the Word, better at our relationships, not only with our family and friends, but with the outside world, how we treat people, how we react, how we respond. All of that figures into our heart in doing what God wants us to. Because look at throughout the Bible where it talks about love and character and how we're to be. And what did Jesus say? He said, love your enemies. Now that's a hard concept. That is hard, you know, because some people are hard to live with, you know. But what's the command? See, it's a change of heart. It's a change of thinking. And that's why the gospel can do that for us in the sense that it makes us aware, first of all, the need we need to change. And second of all, that it's possible. And third, that it is absolutely necessary. And then the gospel, the beauty of the gospel changes man's destiny. You know, I don't know how you look at death, but I look at death as not an end, something dark. I look at it as a transition, and I think that's what the Bible teaches. We read the uh, account of Lazarus and the rich man. That was a transition. You know, the rich man opened his eyes and he was in torment. Well, he felt pain, right? Uh, yesterday I had the opportunity to go to Greens Lake for the graduation ceremony of the uh, school of preaching over there and Brother Wesley was speaking and he made a comment that the brain can be dead but the thinking goes on. And he used the, the rich man as an example, right? Because the rich man died, his body was, was in the grave and the body was dead, the brain was dead, no brain activity, but he continued on in thought able to think, able to converse. And you can go back and read that and uh, read that whole conversation there. But death is not something that we should fear. Death is something that we really should welcome. Because how many of us can sit around and within the next hour and talk about how horrible this world is? And we can name off a lot of things, couldn't we? But you know, going from this world into the uh, Hadean realm, for those who are in Christ, is going to be a lot better than anything we ever have here. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to let go in death because we know our loved ones are left behind and there are certain things we may enjoy in life, but yet there is that transition. The gospel gives us the opportunity to be in paradise. Remember when Jesus told the thief on the cross, he says, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. And we look at uh, Lazarus and the rich man, the Hadean ram, torments in paradise. Uh, I think I know which side I want to be on. <laughs> I don't want to open my eyes and find myself in torments. You know, we're tormented enough in this world every day. But the gospel gives us that opportunity to be in paradise and then after the judgment be able to spend eternity in heaven. That is something that is really hard to comprehend. But it's because of God's great love that he has produced the gospel for us. You know, a lot, a lot of people, especially those that are atheists, sometimes say, well, if, if there was a loving God, there'd be no starvation. If there's a loving God, there, you know, people wouldn't hurt and, and be in situations that they're in. Well, first of all, they don't understand God. But I look at that as the fact that we have those things is for our learning. 
because if we never had to go any through, through anything uh, with adversity, how would we really learn? But the fact that God loves us enough to give us that opportunity to spend eternity in heaven shows His great love. Although John 3.16 is often misapplied and abused, it is true. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. What do we have there? We have God showing His great love to us through the sacrifice of Christ. Now, that's hard to do. To sacrifice someone for the sins of others. I'm, and I know you are very aware of certain religious practices throughout the centuries where people have been sacrificed, where they sacrifice their children in the days of idolatry, where they sacrifice their children to these uh, gods. I know how much I love my children, and I, I don't know if I could do that, but yet if you're programmed, if you, you know, if you're brainwashed, you may not see it that way. But God sacrificed Christ. Christ left heaven, which was a perfect place, and he came to this earth, which is as it is, to live among us, to be sent to one of the worst death that a person could ever experience, and that's crucifixion. But he did it so that we would have that opportunity to spend eternity in heaven. As Jesus was talking to his disciples in the beginning of uh, chapter 14, he says, you, uh, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go and prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, I've often thought about how it would be to be sitting face to face with Christ and knowing who he is, and to have him make that kind of a statement. I mean, I, th I think you would just have to feel good all over, you know, because knowing that he was the Messiah and making that kind of statement, you talk about a confidence builder, you talk about looking ahead to something that is probably more uh, intelligent than we can really comprehend when you think about the whole scheme of redemption and all, it would be wonderful. But, you know, we don't have to be sitting face to face with Christ. We've got it right here in his word. The fact that the gospel is that way that God has provided for man to be reconciled unto him again so that we can become his children and that we can have that hope of eternal life. Uh, we are told that we must obey the gospel. But we shouldn't be obeying a command just because God tells us to obey it. We should be doing it out of love. And trying to understand why God commands us to do such things. People look at commands of the Bible and they, well, I don't want to be a Christian. It's too restrictive. Oh, I can't do that. But I like to say, well, is there anything that God has commanded us to do that's bad for us? God has our best interest at heart. That's why we're to abstain from sin. Why? Because it destroys the soul. It destroys our lives. Look at the way some people are that are just so lost in sin and uh, they care nothing about changing their character. They, cha they care nothing about what kind of person they are. But the gospel can cause a person to stop and realize that that is not the way to be. Not only because God tells us not the, that that's not the way to be, but common sense will tell you in life that you don't want to go around being that kind of person. You reap what you sow. And whether God would have ever said that or not, 
it would be a fact because of the way life is. Yeah. You keep doing things a certain way and you're going to reap, reap the uh, consequences of that. The gospel changes our relationship with God, it changes our heart, and it changes our eternal destiny. But it can only do those things when we accept it as God's truth and as God's word. Maybe the uh, case tonight that you've never obeyed the gospel, never understood the, the things of these uh, teachings from God through the uh, apostles to the people, but they are absolutely necessary in order to be a child of God. It's not only, and some people say, well, when you obey the acts, uh, you're five-step people and so on and so forth. We know what that means, but they don't understand really what it means. If you want to call them five steps, that's fine. I'll take that. I'm five steps closer to doing what God wants me to do and going to heaven, if you want to look at it that way. But in order to please God and to become a child of God, you have to obey the gospel, which requires a person to change their heart, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, to be willing to repent of those things in their life that are wrong and live for God, and then confess Christ publicly and be baptized for the remission of sins. And then God adds you to his church. For those who have already done that, there are times in our lives that, you know, we just don't get it right. I mean, you know, we, we let different things uh, interfere in our lives. We are emotional people, and sometimes we don't handle our emotions right, or we, we don't make the right decisions and end up sinning. Because just because we obey the gospel doesn't mean that we are not immune from those things. But as a child of God, you know that if you've done something in a way that needs to be repented of publicly, that if you don't do that, that can keep you out of heaven just as well as never obeying the gospel. And there are some people in the Lord's church who will swell up with pride and they won't, you know, they won't get right with God for whatever reason. I've seen it happen and that is so sad. But if you are subject to this invitation tonight, would you not come as we stand and sing?